Now the shotgun start in golf is full of mathematics. Um, there's a lot of a lot of setup work that we have to do in order to make a tournament work. So I'm going to demonstrate to you just exactly how we do a shotgun start here. And here we go. All right, all right, all right. Gentlemen, start your Greetings and welcome to a Friday edition of the Shotgun Start. It is May 21st. Andy, how we doing? Brendan, I'm doing good. You know, this is the first time we've ever had to share a mic, but we do have a special guest, and that's why we're sharing the mic. We got none other, world-renowned golf writer, TV personality, I mean, just a, a superstar. one-liner writer based on your email <laughs> that I read the other day. <laughs> I don't take responsibility of that. I think that was uh, Will Knights and Garrett Morrison's doing. Um, but Eamon Lynch, welcome on. What's his title? You got to say his title. We're passing a mic. This is not. This doesn't seem tenable. But what's your title? Senior writer, Golf Week. Uh, you know, personality at Golf Channel or something. Contributor of of some sort. You can call me whatever you want. Chops. Okay. You can curse on this as well, well. By the way, which I know maybe. Some occasionally you do. I know you don't on TV. You're very professional there, but this is a less professional setting. I've so. noticed because <laughs> we've been sitting here at this microphone for about 45 minutes while Egg talks about the sleeping habits of dog and child, neither <laughs> of which interest me. But carry on. And that, I think, hastened the pouring of the wines, which is uh, brought to you by Smith Devereaux tonight. Last night was an athletic, an NA beer night. Tonight, you know, Friday, you know, Saturday's kind of a late morning. Friday. You know, Smith Devereaux, we're, we're cracking it. We got the Magnum 90th uh, birthday Arnold Palmer bottle. You can get that at smithdevereaux.com. That's Smith. You know how to spell Smith. Devereaux is D-E-V-E-R-E-A-U-X. Uh, they've been longtime listeners, big-time supporters. Yeah, there is. I think there is. I don't think there is. Is there not? I think it's E-U-X. E-U-X. Yeah. D-E-V-E-R-E-U-X. Yeah. All right, Smith Devereaux, longtime supporters, listeners. Uh, they sponsored the birthday activation, which is you know silly and stupid. Join their wine club. Everybody drinks wine. Why not support a winemaker that's part of the uh, I don't know shotgunner community? All I have to say is why not join the wine club? And with that, let's talk about the PGA. Dear God, help me. <laughs> it's, uh, it, I, you know, I, always in major championship weeks, I feel like all of a sudden it's halfway over, and here we are, halfway mark. And I think it was really respectful of Louis bogeying the last hole and letting Phil be, uh, once again, a 36-hole leader one more time in his career. I think that was really respectful of Louis to purposely bogey the last hole. What do you think? You really think it's the last time Phil is potentially a 36-hole leader or a potential 54, 72-hole leader in a major? Uh, He's still a decade younger than Tom Watson was when Watson almost won the Open Championship. It it depends if the Saudi events are deemed majors or not. Well, it also depends if that would exclude him from majors. Yeah, right. Other than the PGA Championship. Uh, Seth Law saying earlier this week that maybe you can't come to the PGA if you you know run to the Saudi money, which Phil is you know allegedly maybe interested in. Um, So Phil, Louis, Brooksy, 
Hideki, we had some late afternoon. Did the wind die? What what happened with these scores? It felt like we were really slow. Then all of a sudden, you know, we had this explosion from people like Kepka from Hideki joining the battle. The thick boy, Bryson DeChambeau was involved until he, you know, went a little sideways despite his, you know, absolute insistence that he had a great drive and the wind just didn't blow it to being better. It was great. It should have been even better thanks to the wind, but it, it ended up in some cabbage that he had to hack out. But uh, what happened late that led to sort of a some leaderboard movement that we didn't see coming? Well, I think some of the guys got playing downwind, but when you look at the leaderboard, I think it's very, very clear that there are two things that were extraordinarily important these first two rounds at uh, Kiowa. And it is either A, experience. You've got Phil Mickelson right there with experience or being one of the best, you know, ball strikers in the world, which is very clear with Louis Brooks, Hideki, Brandon Grace. People forget like anytime it was, it's windy in the last 10 years, minus me the last two years, Brandon Grace was always like immediately, hey, you, you look for him. He hits that low ball. But Zayden Hoot, I think he shot. He had he gained eight shots on the green, so that might not stick around that long. And then you got Corey Connors, Gary Woodland, Kevin Streelman, who's been around for a while, Sung J M, Paul Casey, Bryson. I mean, all these guys are in the top, upper crust of ball strikers on the PGA Tour, or experienced guys, or both. Well, the experienced th- one is a, an interesting one. I mean, I'm sure you saw Harrington's comments the other day that the. The flip side of gaining experience is losing yeah. kind of innocence and, and exuberance. And I actually think that's where this kind of gets interesting over the next couple of days. And I wrote about it today. It's the Phil hasn't featured in any major championship since losing. He hasn't even made a top 10 since he lost to Stenson, a troon in 2016. But he also hasn't even really been contending lately. But you could also argue that the skills that Phil Mickelson once had are not the skills that he needs to rely on now because it's not a game of power for Phil or confidence in the putter or anything else where he is going to contend at his age. It's the same way that, you know, a lot of the old guys that Watson, for example, contended at his is just guile. And it's a different form of experience. It's not just having been there. In Mickelson's case, it's having been there and being gut punched so often that what was once earlier in his career scar tissue has hardened into experience and he's not the kind of guy who's going to be afraid to be in this position I don't believe for a moment Phil Mickelson thinks this is his last shot at a major so I I don't think the fear gets to Mickelson the game may not hold up but the best case scenario for Mickelson which is the exact opposite of what you would have said earlier in his career is windy tough conditions where it just becomes a matter of savvy and and game management Mm -hmm. and knowing that and accepting the fact that really great shots get really shitty results out there and it doesn't actually have a long-term impact on your chances to win accepting the fact that sounds like the opposite of what bryson just did insisting that he hit a really great drive as he was knee high in the cabbage bryson thinks he can bend the forces of nature (laughs) to his will and that they must align with his flight scope which is just horseshit um but this is why i actually enjoy watching playing bryson playing on a golf course like this. And it's the same reason I can still, to me, the greatest mystery in golf is Bubba Watson in the Open Championship because no one plays yeah. with the imagination that Seve Valaceros had in the modern game except Bubba. That was Seve's tournament. It's a wide open canvas. You think a guy who has the imagination and shot shaping skills of a Bubba Watson would be in contention every year. 
and his record is lousy because Bubba can't deal with the vagaries. The it wears you down emotionally. This kind of golf, the idea that you're you're not being rewarded, you're being unfairly punished, and it, it's always amazed me that he's never managed to get over that hurdle. And it's the same kind of water torture that I see this kind of golf doing to Bryson because he's wired to say, well, I have input A, therefore I expect output B. And I've heard him stand on a range and say, why did that not hook? I put a hook swing on it. Yeah. And if you're expecting that kind of predictability on a golf course like this, you're probably going to have a very short, frustrating and unhappy time out there. And to me, that's what's interesting about watching Bryson on this kind of golf course. I can't wait to see him play more links golf over the duration of his career because it's... I don't think it's a coincidence that that famous video of him almost having a meltdown on the driving range, leaning up against the scoreboard and with his head in his hands was on a Lynx course because this, this is the kind of golf that is the very nature of it is unpredictable. And Bryson does not seem the kind of guy who's wired to ex- immediately accept unpredictability. Yep. I, the, the experience, what you mentioned, the guile, what you meant, I, I was, I, I fell kind of, unintentionally into Phil's group and followed them for a few holes today. And I was struck kind of uh, how often, you know, Phil and Patty were kind of going to the fat part of the green or the middle of the green, just middle, middle, maybe they've got a birdie out of uh, Phil. I think on nine hit, you know, an extra bonus one that was 20 some feet, something like that. But like, and there was Jason day who is not young, but you know, also might not be, you know, the brightest bulb on the strand, uh, kind of going at pins, uh, even on nine bouncing back into this, you know, the little pop bunker behind the, the pin, it, whereas Phil and Patty go right to the middle. Uh, of course, Jason day is good enough then to, you know, nearly hold the bunker shot while Patty three putts. But like, it's that kind of stuff that accumulates over 18 holes that, you know, the course can be 8,000 yards and maybe that doesn't, you know that that's mitigated that that sort of length distance that we all get consumed by is mitigated by some old school sort of guile as you would put it or experience as andy said yeah i think it's just when you play enough and you know obviously phil's been in so many situations it's it's the idea of like he's seen almost everything he's seen all types of conditions like you know he's played and worse than are out here but it's it's about making things as easy as possible and it seems like that's really what they're doing he talked about it in his post round press conference just how how well you know him and tim his brother are working as a team with like yardages but then he's talking about you know specific trajectories and everything and that's just that's these are shots that i don't think younger players necessarily have or you know the really like i don't think bryce i think bright like to talk to, to your point Bryson hits kind of the same shot over and over again. It, and Phil's talking about hitting it out of different windows and hitting it different tra- trajectories and, you know, with different clubs. And I think that's that's the thing. When, when this type of golf comes out, it really, the artists kind of come to the forefront. And I, that's one of the neat things with just elements like we're going to see the rest of the week. And it's... I mean, I suppose there's different ways of describing artistry. You would not describe anything similar in the games of Phil Mickelson and Padraig Harrington, but both of them have vastly outperformed expectations. And that's, you could say, yes, it's game management, it's it's experience, it's you know minimizing and mitigating the risk that you're willing to take on at certain points. And there's a reason why they've got three Open Championships and eight majors 
between them. And Jason Day has won and will possibly finish his career with one. And Jason was probably rushing to get to a corporate engagement tomorrow anyway. I needed to get home. But it's, what, I, what I found really interesting about this golf course, it has, you know, you hear a lot of the, the commentators talk about how it's a linksy golf course. It's nothing like a Lynx golf course at all. You don't see on Lynx golf courses traditionally a lot of forced carries or hazards in front or hazards behind that interfere with the essential ground game. Most of the trouble is to the side of a green. So this is a golf course that may look linksy, even when it's firm, it's still a through the air golf course. But the one aspect that is linksy is from the neck up. The way it just kind of gently corrodes your confidence and increases your frustration level with every bad bounce you get. Because, you know, every golfer is the same. If you start looking for or, or believing that you're the one getting the crappy bounce, you're going to see it on every hole, that somehow you're being wronged. And, you know, that's what what's interesting watching a, a guy like Bryson or sometimes a Bubba or a John Ram play this kind of golf is you just wait for the self-destruct button. And then you have a guy like... Uh, increasingly later in life, Phil, particularly at Muirfield in, in 2013 when he won the only major he was always predicted not to win, but Harrington throughout his career, it's this kind of plodder mentality of you take your gut punch and you just kind of put your head down and plow on to the next hole. And if you play golf on the PGA Tour every week and you're accustomed to bludgeoning courses into submission and then suddenly you find a course like this, well, it, it, it really isn't a kind of golf these guys are accustomed to playing, at least from the neck up. Yeah, your point on Rom was great, and we saw it today. Like, you know, he got off to a good start, and he's just, you know, rolling along. He's You're looking at the leaderboard. You're like, oh, he's working himself up there. And then he gets a bad bounce on 17. It goes in the water. And then he gets he hits a downslope on 18. And you can just see that he's just seething, you know. A member of his team told me yesterday, you know, he's been working on his temper. So I see that's going well. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's so funny because I, I was out there when he was coming through like four or something. And I was just talking to, you know, somebody that was walking in the group. And they were they were like, oh yeah, it's it's over, you know. <laughs> it's, it's the he's just out of he's just been out of his mind since then. And and that's the thing, you got to keep your emotions in check out here. And uh, you know that's you people could get pouty out there. You know they might you know things turn against them, and then all of a sudden they're just pouting around after every hole. Oh, are you insinuating somebody particularly pouty? A former. I'm just wondering if he's insinuating at this table that somebody is. Well, it was you know, guy in uh, in one of the featured groups. Things weren't going his way, and just was pouting around, especially after short short three putt in the afternoon. Roll tide. Um, so we have Phil and Louis, one or co-leading. Who is more likely to win, or more likely to be? I don't know. Who's more likely to be outside the top ten come tomorrow? I suppose you'd have to say Phil. Phil's more volatile. No. More volatile, yeah. And, you know, Louis has, ne- has not won anything to the extent that you would think the King's talent deserves. The, the flip side of that is Louis Ustazen cares about three things, which is his family, his farm, and golf in that order, and the order ain't ever changing, which can work to his benefit as well. He never gives you the sense that he's that awfully invested in the outcome he's he's never hurt too much and he's never that bothered even or excited on the rare occasion when it's going well it's uh he's a strange cat who stays and i think the better story 
is Phil. But I, I honestly would not be surprised if either one of them hit those extremes tomorrow because a lot of it depends on the, uh, I suppose, the conditions that they're playing in. But if you're heading to the, the book in Vegas, you're probably not betting on Phil. I got a, I got a question. I, you know, in your expert opinion, this is a theory that I've been working around. Is he being sarcastic again? The, I is, don't have the crayons is, to explain it to him. But. Is there a FedEx hex? On the UPS boys. They haven't won since, you know, the tour mandated that no other player could be sponsored by UPS. Well, you'd have to overlook a lot of past history <laughs> in that, particularly that Louis just simply doesn't win very much anyway. And that Lee has, you know, he's had a fine career that almost anybody out there would take. But Lee's won 40-odd tournaments around the world, and not one of them, not one, will be mentioned in the first line of his obituary. Because you get an obituary mention for winning three Masters, not for three Indonesian masters, which is actually what Lee has won. So, no, it's not a, a hex. <laughs> it's not going to be received. And it's the kind of hex that I would actually like to have because, you know, it's Saudi money without the moral dilemma. With, with the FedEx Cup, I'll take the $15 million without having to travel to Riyadh and buy before the Crown Prince. That's true. Oh, the Courier Cup, the great Courier Cup. Um, I, yeah, I, I don't... Phil is the A1 story as much as... I, I don't know. I, I've, I, we've... Right, right. But I, I, here's my thing, Andy. I would say, like, could we see the potential for, like, a Shinnecock 2018 scenario where, like, somebody like Finau Berger are out early and they shoot, like, say it's like a 68, 69, and all of a sudden they are among the last two or three pairings come Sunday, whereas these two kind of veterans like Phil and Louie and the wind picks up as, as is generally the case here, but was not necessarily today. Uh, the wind picks up where, you know, Phil and Louie just are ho- holding on for dear life, trying to get in at 72 or something like that. Well, I think this is definitely a golf course that favors like getting out early, right. but keep in mind, everybody's going off one tomorrow. And I think the benefit is going off early on the back nine and avoiding 15 or 14 through 18 without the wind. And you're still hitting the wind and you might hit the, the biggest wind because those guys are uh, at the end of the day are coming through at six versus hitting it at noon or 2 p.m. Like the people in the middle of the wave will. So I think there's a little bit. But, you know, you look at the back of the draw they're They're 10 shots back. You know, and it's a long way to climb, and I don't think it, it'll be anywhere like the, you know, the Shinnecock level of, of change where, you know, I, I don't think this, this isn't the grass. This isn't the design that Shinnecock is where, like, I, this is a, a very scary golf course, but not in the way Shinnecock is where literally your, yeah, your ball is just gone and 50 yards downhill. You know, unless Mike Davis is coming to town tomorrow night, in which case Sunday could be great. <laughs> yeah, and obviously we saw today a much much softer golf course than Thursday. So already preventative measures have been put put in place. A little governor has been put on the golf course. Um, all right, so let's move on from Phil and Louie, Brooksy, Hideki. I don't know. We I don't know how far you want to go down, but I think they're the late stories. Uh, Bryson's two under. Um, are you surprised at all? Are you surprised? I think, I think most people would be s- s- not shocked, but surprised to see Kepka. I know he shows up in majors and PGAs and all that, but like, I, you know, he he says he's not near a hundred percent. He hasn't been. I know he won in Phoenix, but he hasn't been competitive since then. 
I, you know, I think this is something that's crazy because both Kepka, Kepka's won two of the last three PGAs, mm-hmm. came in super under the radar. Hideki won the Masters, and obviously he went and sat in a hotel room for two weeks in Japan, and then was you know hanging out in Japan, but like. Hideki came in way more under the radar than any I can ever remember any Masters champ into the next major. So it's fitting to see those two guys at, at the top of the leaderboard, wouldn't you say, Eamon? Yeah, well, that's also a reflection on the kind of monochromatic nature of golf media in that Hideki doesn't speak the language. Hideki doesn't live here. So you kind of almost dismiss him as a, a character because he's not a regular part of the week-to-week narrative on on the tour and social media and, and all of that so uh, he, he's easily overlooked in in the way golf media runs but uh, i mean i read an interesting statistic earlier on kepka that uh, yesterday he became the only player in the modern era to open the same major championship of the round in the 60s for six straight years whoa jack nicholas had done it for five in the 72 to 76 masters um and to me, that's kind of, it's a signal of how this guy shows up when it's Hall of Fame territory. And he's already in the Hall of Fame with eight career wins, which who else has done that? Because half of them are the, the, the defining tournaments of careers. Don't slander Tommy Dockers like that. Do you know who Tommy Dockers is? I have not a clue who Tom he's Layman. Uh, we have a lot of stupid nicknames because he was sponsored by the old pants maker. Christ, I wow. need more wine. <laughs> so is it also a signal that maybe the injuries have been, I don't know, over-dramatized, over-covered? No. I think he's probably not, he's not near 100%, but he's learned to maybe play with it better. Who knows? He has. I think the, I don't think the injuries based on the conversations I've had with him, the injuries haven't been overplayed. Conversations. Um, occasionally. But I don't I don't think they've been overplayed at all. I think I think showing up at the Masters was a bad move on his part. But you know, he, he thought at that point he he said the other day his surgery return line or surgeon's time frame to come back fully healed was six months, which means, you know, it was at least seven months at Augusta and he thought he could turn that into a, a three-week turnaround and show up from the players to Augusta and contend, which I probably don't think was the smartest move. If you were struggling walking up and down hills, which he said he was at the time, that's not the golf course to go on. So he's still far behind any kind of schedule, but I just think it's, it's always interesting watching him in majors. He builds up this narrative around himself, and I think he encourages the idea that he's like some kind of Terminator figure who just doesn't even look sideways walking down the range it just thinks they're all yeah. chum bobbing in the wake but it's 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 not so much what he thinks of everything else is what they think of him and i guarantee you every other single guy in the field notices when his name goes to the top of the leaderboard in a major because it's he wins them and holds on and stays there a lot more often than he ever the only time he's ever gotten wobbly when he was in contention at all, was at Augusta in 2019. And even when he hit it in the water in 12, I think he was three behind Frankie Molinari at the time. So it's not as though he was in the lead. But he's not a guy who's prone to kind of falling away, except maybe at the PGA last year. But, uh, you know, with the with the quarantine, that watching the last dance and reliving Michael Jordan, 
Jordan ha- and Kepka, like, I don't not mean that Brooks Kepka is Michael Jordan of golf, but they have these tendencies where whether they're true or not, whether it things actually happen or don't, they make up these narratives. Like, you know, there's the famous Jordan one that they, you know, was one of the great moments of that documentary where, you know, he, he insisted that this rookie from the Washington Bullets said, you know, like, good game, Mike, after he dropped 45 on Michael Jordan or whatever the number, I can't remember the exact number of points it was. And they played the next night and Michael built it up in his head that it was, you know, Brooks does the same thing where he builds up, oh, nobody's talking about me. Like, and this is going to be like, somehow this is going to be the same thing. He's going to say, nobody gave me a chance coming into this week because nobody did. Nobody was talking about him. That's certainly true. And with good reason, they weren't talking about him. But I think it's interesting going forward with him because, you know, we all know this story about Brooks that there has to be a chip on the shoulder all the time to get the best out of him. He's either trying to stuff Chambly in a locker or some other perceived slight that he's had along the way. And since he split with Claude Harmon last November, I'd be interested to see long-term how it goes because leave aside all the swing work they did in the eight, nine years they were together, but Claude knew what motivated Brooks. And Claude made sure on the weeks that mattered that he put the right stuff in front of Brooks Kepka. So whatever it was that he knew was going to fire Brooks up, he made sure he saw it. Now, he, Claude also knows that that wouldn't work with DJ. It's, it's a pointless exercise, but he knew it did work with Brooks. And now that that relationship isn't there anymore as a, as a player coach, it's going to be interesting to see to what extent Brooks is willing to invest the kind of emotional energy required to be out there looking for a perceived slight in this week. Do you think that a, a certain thick golfer and their success could be enough to sustain Brooks's, you know, motivation. You have to elaborate on what thick golfer means. I don't uh, know that well, that you've registered. already given it away. Uh, right. We're talking about the chapeaued one. <laughs> um, yeah, I think there's, uh, you know, it's, it's an odd relationship, I suppose. They've, uh, Brooks has trolled him fairly surgically over the last couple of years. I, I do think Brooks is one of those guys who's, would look at the success of somebody and see himself being somewhat ignored or written out of the narrative and think, okay, well, I'll announce myself again. Now, occasionally, everyone can think that way, but if your game doesn't back it up, well, then you're just heading towards a straight jacket more quickly than a green jacket. But I I think Kepka has shown an ability to back up the arrogance that that he clearly thrives on. Um, It's... At a certain point, you know, guys get motivated by something else. I don't, I don't ever get the sense that Nicholas was motivated by the desire to <clears throat> shove it down the throats of his rivals at the time. Uh, but, you know, that's what makes Kepka an interesting character is this thriving on, on trash talking and this kind of aggressive jock mentality that is so common in every other sport. And he is so toast by the standards of every other athletic jock in every other sport. But in golf, he's somehow considered out there and and edgy. I keep getting confused because I'm not sure if we're talking about Baby Kepka or Brooks Kepka. Baby Kepka. (laughs) John Romskid. Oh, Kepa. Kepa. I'm so confused. Now you got me confused. I'm going to have to call a shuttle out of here. (laughs) You have to get off to your room. Um... 
Let's do a quick course check-in. Anything about the course today that uh, satiated, disappointed? It seems like it, was, it just played fine. Anything you want to see or don't want to see for the weekend? I think the wind's going to just keep moving its way over to the south like it's planned for Sunday. Um, so I think one of the things like we saw today was it was it was a different wind than yesterday. It was it had a little bit more cross in it. And I, I believe tomorrow uh, is supposed to cross a little bit more. They obviously put water on the greens. I don't the PGA. The last thing they want to do is make this about the golf course, you know, especially now with with the leaderboard that they have up there. Um, but I think they have the, they'll, they might make it a little bit tougher tomorrow now that you get a lot of the field out of there. Um, but you know, it, the golf course can play so much different on Sunday compared to the way we've seen it play the first two days with the wind switching and, you know, the last, last five holes being downwind. And then you're going to see the real teeth of what, what six through, 13 is when it's playing into the wind and and you know everybody's been talking about how tough 17 and 18 are into the wind just wait till you see 13 into the wind that is that hole is going to be a nightmare um so i think that's what what there is to watch with the golf course uh heading into the weekend really yeah are you would you like this amen you like this court you're fine with it no i I, i'm always in favor and historically i think the pga has kind of they tightened up the thing on on Saturday a little, and I'm totally in favor of Kerry Haig screaming "Achtung" and tightening the thumb screws on these guys tomorrow. I want to see carnage, yeah, because at, by Sunday morning, you kind of want to have seen who has come through the crucible. And right now, it's been it's been tricky, it's been difficult at times, but it, you haven't seen guys breaking clubs, throwing clubs, weeping uncontrollably on the beach as Mark Kalkovecchia did after that Ryder Cup in '91. I want to see that. I want blood on the walls here tomorrow. And, you know, it, it can't blow hard enough for me. And, yeah, to an extent, that diminishes the actual quality of play. And it just sort of becomes a survival contest. But I'm sure. good with that on Saturday. And then see who can survive that and then pick up the pieces and hold their nerve on Sunday. Yep. Uh, let's do a little bit real quick roundtable or around the horn. Most surprised, most disappointed, as in surprise probably have a good connotation that you're that's in there in the battle. Disappointed, most likely a, an MC or I'm going to go with most surprised Hideki. I just and it's like I mean outside of Phil, really. Yeah, sure, Phil. We've done playing, but Hideki, like you know, you expect there to be some Masters hangover, right? And it wasn't like he was tearing up the place going into the masters and he obviously hasn't really played since the masters i i'm incredibly impressed a little surprised of course he's has the talent to be there and 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 you know we've seen him on major championship leaderboards in the past but like maybe you know you, you often see like the masters hangover right you see it with guys like danny willett and, and uh several others who just take a bubba who took like almost like 18 months before he got back to really being competitive at any tour event. Um, I, I'm a little surprised given what he's done, given, you know, sort of the exhale that probably came after winning that masters to see him right there again. It looks like he's going to post maybe like a 68 today uh, to be one shot off the lead. So, so that's most surprising, most disappointing. I, I guess Justin Thomas, I, you know, I, he's, I know he's only won one major, 
Uh, and maybe his major record isn't what it should be relative to how often he wins on tour and how much money he's made over the last couple of years. But like, he doesn't miss a lot of major cuts. He's, you know, 17 to 21 he's made. Um, I, I just kind of expected more of him. And are we starting to, his record at the open is not, you know, super good. He's missed two cuts. There's two of his four cuts have come at the open. And so I, I'm a little is it, disappointed. Is it driving range golf that he thrives I on? I, th- I think, you know, he won his major at Quail Hollow. So are we in, are we in driving Victor. range golf here? Victor. You go. Who's your, who's your most surprising, most disappointed? I mean, I got to go with, with my boy. I didn't expect him to be making the cut here. Brad Merrick. Oh. It's unbelievable. He's playing great. He's gonna. He, I think only two club pros, him and uh, Ben Cook, are gonna make the cut. He's got a couple holes left, avoiding you know utter disaster on two downwind holes. He's making the cut, but um, I mean it's so neat at this golf course. This golf course more so than a Harding Park for a club pro to make the cut is unbelievable because you know this is something that I I was planning to do a little notes column and is a bold here is like club pros like they make just they just make more mistakes than tour pros that's why they're club pros even the best club pros and this is a golf course that feasts on mistakes worrying like about who's running the shop on the lesson to you that actual revenue depends and it's still going on and it's problematic when they're here distracted by golf Andy of course they worry more about it and make more mistakes yeah so so you know like this is a place that you make a mistake you make a double it's like not Harding Park you make a mistake it's pretty easy to recover with a bogey or you know Bell Reeve or you know many of the even Beth Page to that extent like you can overcome one bad shot here it's just you know Ben Cook I Ben Cook's a kind of a fake club pro He's got, I think he's got Latin American tour status. He's trying to play on the PGA Tour and he's masquerading as a club pro. Like he's a mini tour player that's masquerading as a club pro. Brad well, Merrick. In fairness, he's going to make more giving yeah. lessons than he is playing the Latin American tour. Yeah. Brad Merrick is a, a teaching pro. You know, he is, he's on the lesson tee. So I think that's, that's the most surprising. I didn't, I honestly would have bet that no club pros made the cut going into this week. Um, most disappointing, I think, uh, I think I'm going to point the finger at John Rahm. The clock's ticking. He, you know, he's, how old is John Rahm? 25, He's played a lot of majors though. He's, he's been a, he's Not been one of the five. Bad. The clock ain't ticking uh, for somebody who's still in his mid twenties like John Rahm. I just say that, you know. Lots of we see lots of weird stuff happening in your house, dude. Is he technically out of it? He's three over. I mean, I, I know he's probably gonna be eight shots back from Louis and and Phil, but I don't even know that he's technically out of it. I just feel like there's something with majors going on with him. He's not the same player as we see in the Lupland playoffs. You know, he's not the same player we see in the Rolex series event. You know, he. There's just, I don't know if it's just there's the heightened expectation. Um, I think that that's probably a big struggle. There's four of these a year, and you know, I think that's something that's hard to, to get used to, and I that might be something that he's dealing with. It seems like frustration, you know, he's always frustratable, but it seems like in major championships, he's a little bit more irritable, a little bit more frustratable, 
and is that a word? I don't know. I'm not a wordsmith like you two, you know, fine gentlemen. I'm more of a, you know, a hack, as you'd probably describe. Well, you are based on the newsletter I read yesterday. <laughs> but, yeah, in terms of Ram, it's, of course, it's, there's a lot of guys out there are not the same players in these weeks as they are other weeks of the year. And a lot of guys have had their careers defined by the fact that they are not the same player on these weeks of the year. I, I mean, I, I still think Ram's relatively early in in his career in this sense, and I think there's a tendency to expect and judge everyone else by the success of, you know, say like a, a Jordan Spieth or a Rory who comes out of the gates fast and wins early. And I, 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 def, I don't think other people can be judged by that. I mean, look at Phil's career, which didn't start until, what, 34, I think, when he won his first major? Yeah, I, I mean... I'm not saying. I just think that it's time. The clock might have started. All right. I'm guessing you weren't the same guy on your wedding day as you were the day before, or on the birth of your child. I, I'm damn sure your wife wasn't the same person on <laughs> on the wedding day as she was the day before. Things change, and you know, pressure situations mount. Ram, I still think Ram's biggest issue is it's just not an issue of execution. It's it's just the ability to control the emotions, and that's what majors are designed to just corrode. And I just, he's too easily frustrated by his own sort of shortcomings. And, you know, that's hurt a lot of guys in this game. I think this is, you know, his career has been incredible. And I would think I was one of the people that was very big on John Rahm early in his career, believed in him. He, he's winning at like almost a 10% clip in his career. And now we're at 18 majors. And I don't think we can even say he's had a close call. And that's kind of my, my point with this is he had the third at uh, U.S. Open. He, had a, he was somewhat in the mix in a Masters. But I just want to see him because I really believe he needs a close, close call probably before he wins. Which he may actually still get this week because as it is now eight or nine shots back is not much to worry about over 36 holes on a golf course like this if i was going to pick to me the biggest surprise to me it's got to be harrington the guy is about to turn 50 he hasn't played well in years podrick's five years removed from his last win in europe but he's constantly searching Mm -hmm. and tinkering I mean, he was. I watched him on the range yesterday, just hitting one driver off the deck after another. I've, I've watched him on the range at PGA Championships before, particularly Valhalla, on his knees on the range, on a towel, taking full swings with the driver. And when I asked him afterward why, he said he was just trying to limit the, the lower body oh. movement. And, you know, he, he's constantly in search of something. But he's kind of a, he's a workhorse of golf. He's not flashy at all. And I, I always found it quite interesting that he's got as much control of emotions in the moment as as anyone. I think he's underrated in that extent. And that in two of his three majors, Sergio was the guy who should have won that and didn't because Sergio couldn't control his emotions. And in the case of Carnoustie, he started blaming these sort of imaginary forces that were against him in his own head. And, you know, if, if Sergio had Harrington's mind he'd probably have a lot more majors by now but i'm kind of surprised that podrick's shown up as well he's sitting in the top 20 right now the one on the other end the disappointment that surprises me and there are a lot of them 
this week, you know, obviously DJ is going yeah. home early, but is Leishman. Because he oh. was the guy I thought would really actually have a good shot this week. He's obviously playing well, Zurich, a couple of weeks ago. You feel as though he's not easily perturbed by this style of golf, but suddenly he's, he's nowhere to be seen heading home. You know, regarding Leishman, Brendan, do you think the, that Kiowa put the shift on, took away the, him going to the opposite field, took away his ability to bat it around? Made contact, but just hit it to where the fielders were this week. You know, you can't bat it around Kiowa when they put the shift on like that. Couldn't find the hole, and uh, he just hit it to where the gloves were this week, and he's so going I'm in home. the middle of a full fall well here. Yeah. I have no idea what's going fall on, well. and I'm just oh watching. God. He's just fall. Pretty good. Pretty good. Um, all right, that's good. Hey, did you ever play Wilson clubs, fat shafts, speaking of Pat, Padre? I you, have not. No, I'm not that old. Did you ever, were you ever considered to be, I know you're a golf channel star, were you considered to be a panelist for driver versus driver ever? I was not, no, that would be the, not exactly the one, it's like putting Jeffrey Dahmer in Top Chef. It's not exactly my forte. Well, Brian Erlocker was on it. I can't imagine it was his forte either, to be honest (laughs) with you. Um, All right. Uh, Let's get anything else. Flashback Friday, we're bumping Precision Pro. They've got a new range finder out. We will mention it tomorrow. It is the most advanced rangefinder ever. You, you know, this is a big weekend for rangefinders. Go to precisionprogolf.com. We'll do a flashback tomorrow. I got a nice one on uh, Phil, 2005. Of course, he may no longer be in contention by tomorrow, but we'll still talk about Phil. Um, can we finish with one bit of miscellany? And this is some Eamon Lynch kind of, Eamon Lynch zone here. Ches Ryu, this is from Endangered Speethies, E. Speethies, who I believe I met at the Masters uh, a couple of years ago. Ches Ryu's drivers on the closing holes today, straight into uh, the wind. 233 on 15, 235 on 16, and 206 on 18. Well, the question that poses is, what kind of reduction is that over Ches' typical <laughs> driving distance? Because he's not exactly the biggest guy out there. But I, I, I mean, I stood on the range a couple of days ago. I think it was Wednesday, maybe? When the wind had really picked up in the afternoon. It was howling straight into the face. And I saw Poulter hitting balls. Rory was watching him. Pete Cowan's there. The caddies are gathered around and they're having a laugh at something. And as they're exiting, Rory said to me, the... He, he, he literally could not stop laughing because Poulter was hitting three woods 189 yards. <laughs> Which, you know, may not be that far short of Ian's typical three wood distance. But it, this does raise the issue of what are we measuring these Revy drives against? How much wind is there? Well, a, a famous bit on the podcast from 2019 20, Pebble US Beach Open. US Open was every time on 18. Uh, for three days in a row, he hit it to the exact, or at least two, maybe three days in a row. What was the exact distance? Two o. I think it was two o eight. Two o eight on eighteen at Pebble. <laughs> he just popped it out there, short of the bunker, right. Two o eight, three days in a row. He was in the mix there. He, I mean, he almost outdueled. He almost outdueled Brooks on Sunday. To be fair, he couldn't have been hitting driver. He was making. He was choosing to make it a three shot hole where everybody else was going. But two o eight, like on the button, they kept shot linking it at two o eight. Well, there's no need to drug test him. That's fair. That's fair. Maybe might need to CT test him now. <laughs> That's true. All right, that does it. We got to go to dinner. Uh, maybe we'll do an Instagram live from dinner. Maybe we'll do an Instagram Q and don't know. Maybe this will carry on. But Eamon Lynch, thanks so much for uh, gracing us with your presence. We will read your work at 
golfweek.com, twitter.com, and elsewhere. Uh, thank you for joining us. It was almost a pleasure, guys. All right, we'll talk to you guys again tomorrow, uh, recapping what will be the third round then.